that was my biggest drive to try to understand that the biggest improvement I believe in my in my development was letting go that there are no absolute truths. I tried to see what is in my toolbox or in people's toolbox that is addressing either the symptoms and or the cause in order to bring a long-term effect. And that, that is what I love doing, is really understanding that. To me, the most important thing with the research is what does it actually mean for the person who's in front of you? Hello, and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today, we are fortunate to have nutritionist and researcher Alessandro Ferretti joining us. And I am equally pleased to say that I am co-hosting the show with Claire Sinton. She is a nutritional therapist and sport and exercise medicine specialist. In our podcast, Alessandro shares some of his personal story and gives us insights on the research he's conducted and continues today. So I hope you sit back and enjoy the session as much as I have. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me today. It is really great to have you here. I think the honor is mine, but uh, thank you very, very much. Uh, you are so kind. You are so kind. So we are here to talk about, essentially, to talk about you, Alessandro, and to find out a little bit about your story, what got you into nutritional therapy, and what then led on, how that led on to the research side of what you're doing. And We'll also just see how you are going forward within this industry. Is that okay? Does that sound good? Yeah, sure. Um, okay. You said an hour, right? Because there were three questions. <laughs> I can I can see quite a bit. But I'll, uh, yeah. I'll give an overview, and then maybe uh, yeah. you deepen whichever area you, you you think may be more relevant to your audience and public. Okay, and we've got Claire Sinton on with us because I think it's really nice. You two have built a nice rapport talking about science and the more in-depth stuff. So I thought it'd be nice to have Claire on board as well to add a bit of a twist. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I love it. (laughs) Okay, so is it okay if we start with a little bit of the history, the history behind or, you know, how you got into nutritional therapy? Sure, absolutely. So, um, starting from childhood, just a very brief, brief, very brief uh, overview. Um, suffered um, with my health uh, quite a bit throughout my uh, early childhood, all the way into the teens. And then I was brought up by grandma, which had very, very strong lifestyle foundations, including obviously good nutrition. Um, she didn't study nutrition, but she just kind of knew. And obviously, I got a lot better and started to practice more and more sport and actually seeing that some of the illnesses and diseases that were affecting me at the time um, kind of disappeared or vanished or ameliorated to a point that I was able to just uh, lead a normal active life. So then moved to this country and realized that nutrition had a strong interest um, on on what I wanted to do as a career. 
So I went to the Institute of Optimum Nutrition at the time. Uh, this was 1997, 1998, all the way to 2000, 2001, and started to study nutrition. Now, the, at the time, uh, it was probably one of the first um, nutrition courses that were available without having to go into like university studies and so on. So uh, I, I always had a kind of um, analytical mind. I always kind of really enjoyed in understanding how things work, but more uh, more in particular, the cause and effect. So once you do something, what's going to happen next or why the next thing happened because we've done that something, if that makes any sense. So um, studied for three years plus a little foundation uh, course at the time. And when I got out there, I thought, right, okay, now I can start to fully embrace this, uh, this, this type of science. But then soon started to realize that um, it was kind of one of two options. Uh, whatever I was taught didn't work for me or was not true. <laughs> so I decided to do some, some of my own investigation. Um, I, I kind of skipped the period where I was working for a, a well-known vitamin and mineral company. I was employed by this company, um, whereas after that, um, I was on a freelance basis, but working with two or three different companies, as you may be well aware. But I really like the freelancing because I can say um, I can say what I think. And that yep. to me is really important, um, which is the reason why I don't actually sell anything. I don't sell supplements. I don't sell tests. I don't sell, like, we can organize them, but I don't want, I either want to uh, be, someone involved in, 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 in research and an informator or in sale. Or even, I, I don't have anything wrong against the, merging the two, but I just, in my case, I just want to be very, very clear that to me, th there is no sale. So my skin in the game is, is just purely knowledge and research. So I don't mind getting it wrong. Well, I do, but um, <laughs> I'm getting it wrong um, as long as there is good um, kind of sentiment behind it that there is there is you know that there is honesty behind it so independent thought basically that is correct that's very important to me which obviously working with 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 very respectable company in my view that is um and still speaking my mind as you can imagine has caused a little a little headaches at times but <laughs> we, we we know where we stand and you know when i say well i don't know about that product because the three times i use it did nothing so at the end of the day that's uh, that's that um and we seem to accept on that <laughs> So if you don't hear me talking about a product, if one of the company is sponsoring an event that I'm doing, then probably do your own research on that product. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so following from that, I decided to start to run research projects. Some of them, the, the very early ones, were uh, not published and then were just mainly observational, not interventional. And then I started to be involved a little bit more into the research aspects and helping with various uh, setup studies uh, with a colleague of mine, Dr. Justin Roberts, uh, in relation to ketogenic diet in some of his PhD students, and then wanting to do my own 
and obviously been involved in a couple of publications. So, and one of the really biggest highlights for me was actually going back and studying, doing just a couple of courses, uh, simple courses in, in statistics, which really, really helped me in understanding the exceptionally strong bias that human brain seems to be very much inclined to, to, to actually have on anything, okay? Um, and in that way, I was able to discern very well the information that I was given at college and understanding that some of them were untrue, some of them were not true for me, and some of them were true for me and general population. And to, to, to understand that difference, in my view, is absolutely gold dust. Because when we, when we make certain inferences on, on general population that are the result of an N equal one on self-experimentation, then that can be highly detrimental to someone's health that doesn't fall in the same subset of reactivity of that specific uh, person. So that, that for me was very important. So this is in a way how I started. So is that like saying people, outliers, so people that fall off the bell curve and um, our natural desire to pigeonhole people and um, really kind of generalise, um, which is, you know, what we often need to do to make things simpler and apply uh like more of a recipe approach or a, a, a diagnostic approach in medical terms, obviously not with nutritional therapy. But um, actually, that leads me on to one of the questions I wanted to ask you if an RCT is kind of considered the gold standard of, of research, um, and a case study looks at more of the individual um, cases and perhaps takes into account the outliers and the qualitative situation that surrounds each each person, do you think we're moving more towards case studies than RCTs? Or do you think there's a place for both? Or uh, what are your thoughts on that? Such a brilliant question. Love that. So to uh, finesse my statement in relation to your first uh, question, Yes, it is obviously, so I deal with athletes, which as per se, professional athletes are all outliers. <laughs> I have not met, if someone is a professional athlete that is uh, competing at a certain level, normal population inferences don't seem to apply yeah. at all. Um, going from fasting glucose level to heart variability to, 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 or they are so far removed from the bell-shaped curve that they would fall in that category, okay? So, yes. Mm. However, I also wanted to go into that because within the bell-shaped curve, as far as, you know, population means, most of the times the end result tells you the mean. Yes. Okay? I've always been interested in the other ends. What happened to these poor people? Yeah. So even though I wanted to understand things a little bit better, also still within certain parameters, not being outliers, but still applicable. So, for example, in our study, we had um, 
what we set up to, to, to try to find out is if a ketogenic diet will be suitable for high-intensity um, interval training um, over a period of four weeks. And we all thought that clearly wasn't going to be a very good <laughs> outcome. So our null hypothesis is, right, is going to be a, a disaster for some people, okay? Yeah. Now, what we've proven out of six individuals um, was that there was no drop in performance. Leaving to the side that all the people, so the people that were biased towards ketogenic diet, for example, saw that as a positive result, but also the people that were against ketogenic diet also saw that as a positive result. So that tells you how biased we can potentially be. It's just question of perspective, okay? Yeah. And I got kicked out a couple of ketogenic groups because <laughs> I, I honestly, it, and I said, no, that's not what I said. I didn't say that ketogenic diet has benefits. Yeah. What we said is that there is no drop in performance, but we didn't say that, has, that there is an improved performance. Right. Okay? And that, that got me into a kerfuffle with some people, and I thought, okay, well, dude, I'd better lose you than keep you because <laughs> it, it, this isn't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, whereas the people that were, they were, they were against that said, see, see, your ketogenic diet doesn't work. So, no, that's not what we said. We said there is no drop in performance, therefore someone that has a tendency to have a higher fasting glucose or that, for example, has a tendency to have certain metabolic um, problems may want to consider a ketogenic diet because the performance didn't drop. Of course, there are a zillion of questions. Would it drop in five weeks? Would it drop in nine months? Would it drop it? You know, however, for four weeks, if someone needs to want to go on something like that then we can now the standard deviation that was what really really interested me yeah because two individuals show no drop one individual show a substantial increase yeah and another one guess what yeah right and we said in the in the in the uh, in the statement there was no drop in performance. Well, you ask individual number four and five. Yeah. They say, oh, I feel great. Us, individual three and two, saying, well, nothing has really changed. Us, one, said, I had no strength left. Yeah. Right. This is after week one. And I had to do four weeks. So, and, and these are very trustworthy individuals, which we counsel and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, uh, and, and, and in that study, I was hired interestingly enough not as a nutritionist but you try to understand what can potentially go wrong with it <laughs> you know, and, cheers <laughs> really appreciate that um, uh, I, I love you to bits honestly so don't call me anymore. <laughs> very so, good um, and, and I really, really love that. So I hope that um, answered uh, your, your two questions, Claire, because I really love that question because this is what people really didn't understand. And yeah. in, in, in social media, people were having wry, full-blast arguments and they didn't even read the study. Hmm. And you think, what a flip. What, why don't you just stay five minutes and you say, okay, there is no drop in performance as a mean, yeah. but... For that individual that after week one was completely spent, then I don't think it would be wise to suggest a ketogenic diet for performance. 
So, so what you're saying is actually, it's also how you present the research, because if you'd presented the standard deviation, um, you'd have actually shown that for some people, especially athletes who are looking at really tiny margins of significance, so perhaps um, at, a, at a much smaller significance level than the statistics would allow, that is correct. Them, that, that, is that's, that's totally, yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And and, and that's the reason why um, I love the you know RCTs and DBPC. I love those, but it seems to be harder for general population to extract the true meaning and the true result mm. of what that actually means to me as an individual. What does it mean to uh, Mr. Brown? as an individual or Mrs. Smith as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that, for example, the typical is caffeine, okay? And I'm clearly highly biased because I'm Italian. So, <laughs> you know, my, lady, my lady has tried with the roasted chicory thing and the, the, the barley blessed by the decaffeinated God. And it, it, it no, don't. Don't, just don't go there. So, not to come and, and, and you can say, well, caffeine is detrimental or caffeine is beneficial or caffeine context. Mm -hmm. In some individuals with CYP1A2, but they are used to, so we have such a, a variety of potential results where the standard deviation is very important. And when I, when I run my projects to, to, to answer to your second question, I think it's very important to run these projects totally bearing in mind the limitation of these. Yeah. And obviously, I, 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 I use the same statistical diligence within the analysis that my brain could possibly be capable of at the time. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I believe I treated the, 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 the data as objectively as I possibly could because I also had it checked to someone that wasn't a nutritionist, just a data analyst. Yeah. And but it was great because I can see, right, okay, so in here we have people that do this and I run the same project on frequency of eating once we control for total energetic intake. Eating little and often not for me at all right for someone else best fasting glucose they've ever had right so can you see where i'm coming from whereas if we present that in a in an rct or the bpc then we 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 struggle to extract that information because all we read is the abstract and perhaps not many people actually go and read methods mm. yeah. claire talks about that a lot that's one of her favorite things is to go in and really dig in deep. She enjoys it. And is that really what, sorry to, to interrupt you both, because I'm, I'm loving listening, but is that, is that part of what really got you into the research side of it is, is that really what drives you further to say, well, that's what's happening with these oddities or the norm that say like me, I'm not an athlete. Right. Does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course. Um, well, being a man, I'm driven by trying to fulfill my insecurities. Really. There is no, there is no other information no on that. And I, 
in my in my in my early in my early life, uh, I guess I was ans- I, I was trying. There, there was a constant search for the ultimate truth. This is good, and 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 this is bad, and yeah. this is that. You know, two hundred and fifty-two milligrams of magnesium, or fifteen point seven milligrams of B3. Okay, so that was the type of things because having been a motorbike racing engineer, we had to deal with things at that level. And we still didn't get truths out of that, out of, you know, a racing engine or a motorbike or whatever. So one of the things that I had to let go was of that certainty. Right. So certainties, certainties don't really exist. Yeah. Therefore, well, at least in, in, in this realm, in this, in, in, within this context. And for me, it was exceptionally important to understand all the facets and when these truths were true. Right. And I think that that led me to wanting to understand more. And because I was searching for truth early in, in life, say, uh, or in my career, then my brain was becoming very apophenic, meaning it was trying to find patterns that actually did not exist. So for we hear, I hear this so often. <laughs> you know, people said, oh, I stopped eating gluten and I feel so much better. Therefore, gluten is bad. Yeah. And then you discover that they did a million things on top yep. of stopping gluten. So they stop eating gluten, but actually they stop eating biscuits. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a assumption here, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's not just that. Or what else did they do in order to stop? We know with the China study, we know some of these things, and which I'm not saying that they're not true. Mm. I'm saying that they have very strong limitations, and we need to understand the realm of which these limitations would actually fall, and how do these relate to general population? Because otherwise, everyone is going to go vegetarian. And as you may be well aware, some people really don't do well. Yeah. They're, they're, they are disastrous on, on certain times. I say vegetarian, to say vegan, to say carnivorous, to say ketogenic, to say anything in, in relation to that. So that, that, was, uh, that was my biggest drive, to try to understand that the biggest improvement, I believe, in my in my development was letting go that there are no absolute truths yeah. that we can. And, and I think Star Wars really capped it because, <laughs> <laughs> because Obi-Wan Kenobi said to um, one, of the, one of the Sith, ah, only uh, Darth Sith are absolutists. And I went, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. And it, unfortunately, in our in our in our field, uh, there is lots of misconception on that. And people search for truth. Rhodiola is good. This is bad. And I don't believe for the vast majority of things that we deal with on a daily basis, we can actually state it as bluntly as that, as as as, as binary as that. That 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 would draw really draw me to to the research side of things. So um, in terms of looking at it from a nutritional therapy point of view, um, and I have this same battle that it sounds that 
like you've had that conflicting everything needs to be absolute and it's a very medical model and trying to generalize and trying to come up with that that kind of bullet point of okay what are the bare bones of this and what works for most people and then the kind of more naturopathic approach and really holistic and breaking things down and making it um more individualized to the to the person that's in front of you so obviously as a therapist um rather than as a as a scientist or um from the medical side of things um actually there's the flip side of of nutritional therapy which is much more holistic and naturopathic um where do you sit between the two <laughs> nice question claire <laughs> Should we do a full day webinar then? <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. You are absolutely cracking. So, um, can I say cracking? It's yes. not offensive. Right. Okay, cool. Um, so, we like just, that. We like Yeah. So, I don't say, okay, a great karate master said, so one student was saying to do something in a certain way and the other student was say to do what he thought the same action in another way and then the two students said well maybe something in the middle mm. and the truth is in the middle so instead of doing a movement in a certain way or in another way it should be in the middle right yeah. and the master said no the truth lies where the truth lies there is no middle and the truth lies where is gonna fall. There is no, there is no other way. Now, if you're saying to me because we don't want to argue, we find a compromise. Yeah, I'm happy with that. But you need to be aware that you're finding a compromise, not necessarily finding the truth. Yes. And these words have never left my brain. Yeah. I love that because I said right, okay. Um, I asked myself a few times, am I doing with vitamins what doctors are actually doing with medications? Yeah. Yes. Or is the medication in this case or in this context used with the same potential benefits as vitamins and minerals? Yeah. So where do I lie is really strictly dependent upon the context. If I see a practitioner, when, when I used to coach practitioners in their, in, their, in their practice, it was really interesting to see that, to me, there was no difference how certain allopathic practitioners would practice and how they use vitamins and minerals. On the other hand, when I used to work at the Center for Health and Human Performance with Dr. Fadid Monibi, Dr. Jack Kleinder, Professor Hugh Montgomery, Professor uh, Hitton Patel, they were medical doctors, very, very allopathic and orthodox. They were behaving like naturopaths yeah. by just using medications because this is what was their training. But always, and for whatever I was able ever to see, they used to practice in a way that had really naturopathic principles. So first, do no harm. Try to treat as you find. Try to find, address the root of the cause, not merely the symptoms. And you think, hang on a minute. This is really confusing for me because I train as that. So I don't tend to see allopathic and naturopathic. I try to see what 
is in my toolbox or in people's toolbox, there is addressing either the symptoms and or the cause in order to bring a long-term effect. And that, that is what I love doing. Is, is really understanding that. And whatever tool I have, you know, people say to me, well, I don't believe in, say, I don't know, homeopathy, to say one, okay? Well, I don't really care if I believe it or not. If it works for my patients, that's what, what I'm going to use, or in this case, refer. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to deny that. If you want to run a DBPC in, uh, in homeopathy, and we find two people out of a hundred that for these two people has been a cure. I don't care in this instance about the other 98, what they believe. I believe they want to be healthy, of course, but for these two, then use homeopathy because homeopathy is what has brought, I'm saying homeopathy to say kinesiology, to say nutrition, to say metformin. It doesn't really matter what is in. So uh, this is what I, this is what I stand most comfortably in trying to see what the truth is for that specific person, not necessarily for general population. Is this making any sense at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. To, to me, um, in terms of basically what you're saying is that um, as a therapist, you're um, kind of in flux between all your tools and you just gather the appropriate tools according to the person that sat in front of you, but also according to their aims. So if they want to to manage, then maybe you go down that route. And and that's much more of an allopathic approach, perhaps. Whereas if you um, have someone sat in front of you and they're like, actually, I want... I want to be happy and I want to move towards a, a long-term goal of, of sitting in this particular state and yeah. you're going to assist them to achieve that for themselves um, with a set of tools that you have. Does Correct. that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, that's, that's the English version of what I was trying to say. <laughs> um, so, uh, that is correct. Um, I, I, the strive for the truth is one thing, but the truth for general population may be very different from the truth of the person who's in front of you. Yeah. Um, I had the pleasure of working uh, with Cray Pickering, um, I think now Dr. Cray Pickering, maybe, I don't know, but anyhow, PhD, whatever. Um, at uh, a company called DNA Fit, and uh, I was I was hired to deliver the nutrigenomic aspect of things. And he posted, I'll never forget this. I think he, I think it was on Twitter uh, an article about are you? I oh, know it was in HMMR Media, which is uh, he writes for a magazine or, or, or something like that. And um, he wrote an article, a short article, but absolutely brilliant. Um, are you the mean? So when 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 someone said, oh, "I believe in," uh, I don't know, hundred grams of hundred milligrams of B three to lower cholesterol. Say, well, looking at the scientific data, right? But is he the mean? So we know that is, you know, it works. Could we achieve that through drugs? Mm. Why do we need to assume the drugs are bad? Yeah. 
And that it, it's really painful question to is a really inconvenient truth for me because obviously I would always try to go towards a more natural approach, but I need to be very aware of my bias. Yeah. And yeah. if bits yeah. and men can do it, then can food do it beforehand? Mm. Can lifestyle choices? And and this is where the reason why when I was writing my book, um, I thought the most I quoted around two hundred and fifty studies. But the most quoted person consistently was bloody grandma and grandpa. <laughs> and you think, I ain't going to publish this. There's no way I'm going to publish this. This is just a massive rant. That's it. That's all it is. So I thought, all right, okay, let's give up on that. And, 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 and I was trying to understand and ascertain that I wanted to be driven by ignorance in approaching science, not from truths. Mm. And I shifted from making statements to asking lots of questions. And that, I think, is what span my view in relation, is it naturopathy or is it medical? Because I was involved with both at the same time. And that, as you say, Claire, created, created some headaches. Yeah, because you know, first thing is that what did you just say? Do we need to do that? It really is that going to have a, a, a placebo effect or drugs? Is it going to kill the person because it's got all sorts of excipients and within and preservatives within that, and it's going to cause so much more damage than what is actually the first original action? But the point is, why does the person need that in the first place? Mm, Can yeah. we go ahead of that? Yeah. Can we go further ahead? And this is where grandma and grandpa seem to have an awful lot of much better grasp of what do we need to do in order to stay healthy, not to need the vitamins, minerals, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the reason why, in a way, I was driven away from the practitioner world. Yeah. Because we were going more and more a meter wide by a mile deep yeah yeah rather than having dude we are missing the wood for the tree here (laughs) gosh there's so much in what you've just said but do you find if i jump back to working with allopathic doctors do you find that you were perhaps working with a select group of people that were more open-minded because in my mind, I yeah. think generally doctors are more hesitant or reticent to take that broader approach. Indeed, Deb. I, I think, I, think um, I was really, really lucky. Um, well, in Italy we say that luck prefers to help clever people, though. So... <laughs> You, 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 you're lucky up to a point. You remember that journalist that interviewed one of the biggest golfers on earth and he said, oh, that was a very lucky shot. And the guy replied by saying, interesting, because the more I practice, the luckier I seem to get. Absolutely. <laughs> like saying, it was a polite way to say, well, yeah, but there is a lot of practice, right? And I think we innatively do the same within our circle. I seem to be drawn to people that have that eclectic way of thinking and have that 
balance, I would say, within their view, irrespectively what is their belief. And what we, because the clinic in Harley Street was, the, 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 the clue is in the title, the Center for Health and Human Performance. So their, 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 the statement was committing to that. Then I got to chat to one of the doctors and before he knew it, I said, well, can I hire you? I said, right, okay, I thought this was a drink, <laughs> not an interview. I said, well, do you want to do the interview? I said, no, you just told me that if you want to hire me. I said, okay, should we cut the crap and can we start tomorrow morning? So kind of thing. And this was Dr. Jack Reinder. It was brilliant. Absolutely loved that guy. Um, and um, however, here where I live, which is just at the edge of the Cotswolds, in my local surgery, there are three doctors I've seen. Two out of three seem to give out more lifestyle recommendations than medicine so is it something changing is it the law of attraction is it you pay for you what you get for if you pay peanuts you get monkeys is it what is it i haven't got a clue but it seems that i seem to become more and more uh, in contact with people that seems to have that view kind of thing so i think it's increasing but it's hard to get yes yeah that holds great promise for us for sure Claire, do you want to pick up on more research? What would you like to do? How do you want to, how would you guys like to move this forward? I was actually interested in your grandparents, Alessandro, because they've had such a huge impact on you. Um, what were their backgrounds? What, um, what food were they suggesting? Was it like a Mediterranean diet? What, what was it? What is it that inspired you? <laughs> You mentioned the M word. <laughs> um, yes. So they they have been highly highly pivotal because they without without even realizing they were imparting some some of the um, some of the teachings that forty fifty years later is what I recommend to patients. And they didn't have scientific background. They never, there was no Google. There was no uh, way to research things. And they just knew it worked. And they, they, they tried their best in order to change, in a way, my health for, you know, to make me feel better. And... I was able to then start to practice sports. And so they were following what is now recognized as a Mediterranean lifestyle, which unfortunately, uh, in I'm, I'm assuming, it's just a very wild estimate, but in the last 15, 10, 15 years, Italy has lost yeah. completely. Maybe not completely, but remarkably. Interesting. So when, when we, when I was in Tuscany, as you do, and I was visiting um, a farm, a biodynamic organic 
farm called La Vialla. Amazing people. Amazing people. And we were invited there. So for work, of course, we had to do market research and we had to go and visit them. And I was there reading um, Dr. Cardiologist Asim Malota book on the Piopi diet. And I was doing really, really, really well until probably, I don't know, halfway through. And there I started to get a little wound up, a little bit wound up because I am an Italian nutritionist, that is. <laughs> so the book is brilliant because so many people, if not the vast majority of people, can take some really sound advice out of that book. Mm. And I love that. Especially I love the fact that a cardiologist has done that. Okay? Now, why a nutritionist hasn't done that, that's a different problem. But let, let's, let's stick to the positives for now. <laughs> And then I thought, okay, I'm getting wound up here because you're describing a population in a certain remote area, yada, 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 that has a complete set of lifestyle, not a diet. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that really wounded me up. I finished the book out of respect because he's an amazing guy, but I thought, you can't say the Piopi diet and do it for four weeks when you're looking at generation of generation of teachings in order to take uh, people over the age of 100. Yeah. Like the Blue Zone. That's the reason why I love so much the Blue Zone principles because I said, okay, yeah. well, nutrition is nowhere near in the, first, in the first five or three, whatever it was. And you think, hang on a minute. It's not broccoli and bananas, is it? Wine comes before that. So that tells us a lot, doesn't it? And you think, well, okay. Yeah, no. I know. I'm embracing that one, especially in this period. <laughs> it's like, like, yeah. But there's also a strong sense of community and, yeah. um, I think and that's my point. together, supporting each other, helping out with childcare and being, you know, old and young together. It's, it's the whole thing, isn't it? It's not just. Absolutely. Yeah, dinner. Yeah. Absolutely. So is it wheat? Is it no wheat because of gluten? Mm. No. D stand up, look at kind of bird's eye view mm. and actually see what really is going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't wear the blue light blocking glasses. Don't just, first of all, get out of the house in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. To get daylight in your retina. That's the biggest cue to your chronobiological entrainment. Then, don't look at things that are stimulatory to your brain late at night with blue light yeah. or within the ranges of the 550, 580, 590, and et cetera, et cetera. And you think, hang on a minute. So don't, don't spend 120 quid in blue light blockers. Just don't do it. And guess what my parents, my grandparents did? Yeah. That. Yeah. They were up with the birds. They were eating with the chickens in the sense that early, not not with the chickens, but, you know, <laughs> at the time, <laughs> because this is what was intrinsic. It's incredible what what lengths we're prepared to go to to not change our lifestyle habits, just to hack them in some way. And, you know, as you say, where the, where the blue light blocking glass is. 
I love that, Claire. I, I love that. I'm really going to quote you on that. The length that we go <laughs> in order to try not to change our lifestyle. I love I love that. Yeah, just yeah. The, yeah. the life hacks, you know, anything that we can get to, to um, change something around us so that we don't have to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, that, and that was so was so evident when I was reading that book in Tuscany because I started the first day I said look don't rob a bank but if you do rob a big one <laughs> so I decided <laughs> not to taste the pasta yeah I had pasta focaccia pane I had the whole shiban and I thought <laughs> I'm gonna feel sick <laughs> brilliant I'll take in the chin but that dopaminergic oxytocin effect this food are going to have on my body will prevail the amount of cramping that I'm likely to get, right? <laughs> yeah. So as long as you're happy with that, then you can go ahead, okay? Yeah. After a week of minimum two, maximum three times a day, having pasta, bread, or focaccia, asymptomatic. Wow. Mm. I was in Tuscany, mm. it's biodynamic, if organic. I was free. So what was it? I haven't got a clue. All I know, in here, working, doing with the normal daily stress, normal daily lifestyle, and et cetera, et cetera, which is rather healthy. However, it's different from what mm. I was experiencing in Tuscany, being on holiday, and et cetera, et cetera. My gluten resilience seems to be pretty damn great. So um, whilst you're in Tuscany, Alessandro, were you wearing your HRV monitor and testing your blood glucose as you went and, you know, all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, um, I was only testing the uh, 60 seconds every day. That's it. Yeah. So I was taking the morning reading and the uh, the, the fasting glucose always um, towards the end of the period so six seven days later having you know a decent amount of wine every night and the pasta and etc etc sun as well uh, so fasting glucose started to increase and hrv started to still maintain its its level um so some differences but it's absolutely not if i have the same amount of wheat and gluten here yeah. then so i wanted to understand how my body was rather than just go by feeling because my my assumption is that my bias would have said that I would have felt a hell of a lot better. Mm-hmm. In actual fact, towards the end, I was still feeling pretty damn great, but fasting glucose started to go up. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that's the reason why in a situation like that I just want to confirm to tell my my bias to, to keep it in check. Yeah. And say, yeah, you feel great, which is one side of one part of, of my physiology yeah. <laughs> because it's on holiday because it's Tuscany because I'm with friends and because I'm with my lady and etc but at the end of the day um the, the, some physiological variables are starting to creep up or down so not optimal so would you say it was an accumulation or um I mean what I'd be interested in the scientist in me um is bring the focaccia the pizza the um the pasta back to the uk to you know the cotswolds and um and start to eat the same diet obviously separate 
from that week because you don't want any accumulatory effect from the week before. Um, but to have it, you know, on a on a totally different week and eat the same diet, but in your home life with the stresses of things that go on at home, um, and and just see if if the diet has any effect on your um, blood glucose in particular, because that's obviously the thing that showed significance or potential significance. Um, I love that you made the assumption that I haven't done that already a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I know you think like me. I know you do. <laughs> yeah, oh, it, it does have an effect. Right. So, but what, what it seems to me is that, and, and I'll tell you what is my assumption, Claire. Yeah? So please really take this with a pinch of salt. So it seems cumulative. And I'm talking from a non-celiac perspective, which is yeah. really, really important. So if there's any celiac listening to this conversation, please do not attempt what I have done because I'm not celiac. I come from an IBD perspective, so pretty nasty, mm. uh, pretty not great, however, not mm. celiac. Okay? So celiac will have substantial problems Needless to say. So if you're celiac, do not attempt this. However, I have gone through before starting college, which is one of the other reasons why I was drawn to actually start college uh, in nutrition, um, you know, blood and stools, knowing which service area on the motorway was the closest and where were they located in the next journey I was going to have. So that, that was pretty, pretty restraining uh, on so many things in my life. Um, to a point that now I can eat it. Now, what does can eat it mean? <laughs> well, there, is, there seems to be a cumulative effect. And these are the, what I call the big five. What Rangan, uh, Dr. Chatterjee may call uh, the four pillar. Yeah. If, if, there are, if there are two or three of these that are absolutely optimal, then I can get away with a certain load. Mm. If one or two are optimal and the others are not, then it seems to bring forward that potential for reaction very, very quickly. So, for example, if I'm on holiday, there is no stress, there is no this, there is no that, I can do physical activity, I can wake up, well, I do wake up naturally anyhow. Uh, but so the, 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 the cumulative result of all the loads that I have is very small. I can get away with eating more of, in my specific case, gluten and having two glasses of red wine instead of one. Yeah. Here, if I, if I have, say, pasta for two to three days in a row when I'm really busy, when I'm looking after our rentals, when writing, when doing all of this stuff, it seems that my, my, my threshold is reached much, much quicker. So that leads me to more questions, needless to say, Claire, I'm sure you appreciate this, is, okay, so what is, where is that set point? One, what contributes the most? What is the 80-20 rule? Is there an 80-20 rule? Or is it just a question of allocating different weight for different loads? which the cumulative effect would actually read to me to go over the threshold or to, you know, the last straw that brought the camel's back. Yeah. So every now and again, 
with my lady Jules, I said, today is the I don't care day. And I see a croissant <laughs> that is there, that is designed to be given for my son's breakfast or you know, whatever. I grab it and what the heck? Okay? Yeah. Fine. But is that causing any, well, if I'm, for example, in this period, I seem to get away with quite a bit because I'm not able to go out. I'm not able to do certain things and normally would be loads. So it's, it's really interesting. For me, also, the training has to be, um, if it's a very intense training period and preparing for an event or something like that, this is when I become very, very sensitive. And this is when gluten has to be completely out. Yeah. Not because gluten is bad, because the cumulative effect of all the loads that I have, plus how my body reacts to gluten in that moment in time, in that period, makes me feel unwell. Yeah. Is this making any sense to you guys? Yeah. That's brilliant. Cool. That's absolutely brilliant. It's a really nice way for us to take that broader perspective of everything else that's going on, the full load, the life load. That's really helpful. Claire, go ahead. I can see you want to say something. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess this brings us on quite nicely to chronotyping, which I know that you're interested in looking at the impact of sleep on health and so forth, which which chronotyping, obviously, um, it feeds into other aspects, but sleep's the first thing that you think of when you when you think of chronotyping, and balance in routine, um, perhaps, and how diet comes into it and things like that. So could you give us like a little brief overview of your thoughts on that? Uh, sure. Awesome. Um, one of the one of the one of the chapter on the book I was writing uh, was on my rant. Really, I'm going to call it the the, the rant document. <laughs> so one of the one of the uh, one of the chapter was all on chronobiology, and chronobiology um, was to me. I read the four pillar plan, believe it or not, and that is what, in a way, instigated first my interest for um, uh, chronobiology. Mm. And then I started to follow the work of um, Dr. Amy Bender, Dr. Bill Lagakos, and you know some of these people. That and so I thought, well, I don't have a qualification in either chronobiology or sleep, so I can't really talk about it. Yeah. The only way how I can talk about it is I related to food, and then I discovered that is a huge kind of impact on how and when we eat, the f not only just the frequency, but the time, the window frame that we actually have feeding times. Yeah. So I did, I did all sorts of N1 and then started to try to analyze and, and, and the, the ones of certain patients. And I took the same amount of food, had it in the morning, had it in the afternoon and had it in the evening, and then tried to control for everything else that I could. So previous time that was eating, obviously couldn't do that in the morning because they were fasting from the night before. And however, what I started to see there was nearly one millimolar difference for the same amount of food in the area under the curve in relation to the blood glucose. Yeah. Anything right. So GI is not GI, is it? 
Mm. So we kind of know the calorie isn't a calorie, but calorie is a calorie. <laughs> it's just that the value of that calorie is different from each one of us. Yeah. And it changes constantly. So a calorie is not a calorie, but it is. Yep. And same thing with the GI of a food. Mm. Then GI is, okay, so the state bananas, fine. But bananas could be on a high GI and it's 72 and a half. Anything, no, that's pants. Because if you have it in the evening, you have a decent, <laughs> different response yeah. from what you would have it first thing in the morning. I love it. And this is what really, I started to also look at some uh, studies about um, chronobiology and chronotypes. And, and the biggest lesson for me to just was observe me, because I used to be a night owl, like proper, proper, proper night owl. And now I naturally wake up between quarter past five and quarter past six, naturally. And I don't have to ever use my alarm. I, I detest that. But because if I'm lecturing away, I'm already away anyhow. And the lectures normally start after half nine. And the, the only time in which I may need it is a red eye flight, which I don't like to take. Yeah. Because I'm paying the, 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 the price that I don't invest because it's an early flight, I'm paying it in having to catch up for a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, well, hang on a minute. So the, I started to observe and then research and then um, study the research on chronobiology in relation to the sleep, exactly as you said, but also on the eating and physical activity and stress response. So now we know the days are before biggest entrainments for our chronobiology. So the sleep, when we get stressed or mentally hyper-aroused or aroused uh, or vigilant or hypervigilant, whatever you want to call it, yeah. when we practice physical activity and when we eat. Yeah. And I had a, I had the pleasure to interview um, Dr. Greg Potter from Leeds University. Fantastic guy. Really, really, really cool guy. A lovely, lovely researcher too. And he just says things exactly as they are. Is he a chronobiologist or, yeah? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and are there any books that you recommend on um, looking specifically into chronobiology? Um, any testing? Did you look at genetic testing for the, it's the, PR3, um, yes, the period, the period, I think is period one and three are the most significant, but there, there are also the um, adenosine receptors as well at the same time. Yeah. However, I'm not sure if you came across a, a study that was done in Boulder, uh, Colorado, where they took people that had a different background. So the answer is no, I don't have anything as precise as a book mm. about it but they can go and observe the information of some of the names that um, I mentioned earlier. So Dr. Bill Lagakos, um, L-A-G-A-K-O-S, I believe. Um, chronobiology probably is when it says for the podcast, some of the information about why we sleep from Professor Matthew Walker. There are some reference to chronobiology then mm. via sleep. Um, Dr. Amy Bender, B-E-N-D-E-R, I believe, 
uh, I think that would provide, but, but, but also just PubMed. Yeah. PubMed is absolutely, oh no, I have a text. I have a medical textbook about chronobiology. Um, I'll try to I'll try to send, but it's a medical textbook. So, so what you're saying is there's a book that needs writing that ties it together, ah. and so it. I'm not hearing that. I'm not hearing that, Claire. Do you want to write one with me? I'll come and write it with you. <laughs> yeah, you and Claire and Jules could work on that together. Yeah, that's right. That's what you do. But however, one thing that I can say to people, um, obviously there are some some people that seem to be very keen to think that there are different things for different types, chronobiology types. And then the eye owls, they can stay up until 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, whereas others they can stay up only at 1900 hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm, maybe. But what I've noticed is that, first of all, there is, a, there, there is a, a slight shift throughout our lifetime. So we start at a certain, our body, our physiology is trying to understand what the heck is going on. Then we go to the themes, we, um, we seem to be more later type of chronotype. And then as we grow older, there is reflection and then carries on. However, I'm not qualified to say things like that. By looking at reapers, though, is that definitely what it seems um, is that our society te- seems to exacerbate these differences. Because when it took a bunch of people and took them to camping, in the mountains of Boulder in Colorado, which are amazing, by the way. I was walking with uh, Mike Muscle and Dr. Ben Lynch um, yeah. when, when we did some, some stuff over there. And cool. it was absolutely amazing. But when, when the sun goes down, it just goes down. Yeah. And so they took these people that had a very, very different type of chronotypes. And yet what was happening was rather interesting. There were still chronotypes in slight differences of uh, delayed onset of melatonin release and cortisol release, but they were within 30 to 45 minutes, not hours. Wow. Oh, wow. So, so what you're saying is epigenetics then comes into play. Yeah. So, um, and the people keep making all sorts of these assumptions, yes, because once upon a time in the tribal, how the heck do you know? How, I, I can't remember what my grandma was doing, and she brought me up, right? Yeah. And these people make inferences on population that will lived a million years ago, and you think, hang on a minute, they, they, how do you know that? <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to investigate that, because I, I, uh, I'm going to leave that to you. However. What is really interesting is that to me that is that when if I follow certain patterns, my chronotype is as such. But if I then dramatically change my lifestyle, I become another chronotype. So which one is which, Claire? Mm. As you said, is it do I blame the epigenetic or do I blame my lifestyle? Or do maybe it's a combination of the both? Definitely, I know that if I'm left to my own devices, my, my physiology is left to their own devices, and 
listening to the normal chronobiological cues, I'm not a later chronotype at all. Yeah. So when people make, um, how can I say this very politely? When, when <laughs> yes, there are people that have programs and they may have incomes from uh, certain things about chronotype, which is totally fine. However, I believe that some of the biggest problems we have is our lifestyle nowadays that exacerbates the differences between the different chronotypes because we can game until 2 o'clock in the morning, because we have computers that we can turn on, we can shop 24 hours a day, we can exercise 24 hours a day. Yeah. Whereas once upon a time, you couldn't ring the phone to my grandma at the time of eating. They, they would yeah. ask you, what are you ringing me now at, you know, 1800 hours because you know that you're eating? And they wouldn't. They would get wound up about it. Yeah. yeah. You just would not go there. And my son, that is 14, rings his friends at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. And you think, can you see my point? I'm not yeah. saying that one is yeah. bad and one is good. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we have substantial differences within our lifestyle nowadays from what it was. Yeah. So are chronotypes only applicable for people living at that extent, yeah. for people living in a certain lifestyle conditions? Yeah. Or are they relevant to given their genetic profiling? So if we um, kind of tie that all back in and you look at <laughs> HRV and you look at blood glucose levels and you know the underlying genetic preference towards a chronotype, you can actually look at the, the whole picture and you know that if you're slightly living away from what you would naturally do, um, then perhaps your HRV will drop and your um, blood glucose will steadily rise. And actually, as you revert slightly back more towards your chronotype, um, then perhaps it will start to reduce some of the stress that you see um, yeah. you're monitoring the body in that way. Yeah, yeah precisely, precisely. So we, we, uh, I would look for optimal all the time. So, yeah. for example, I would say, right. okay, so given my training load, given so everything is same, 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 if I go to bed at a certain time for a month, a certain different time, but make it different, obviously, so I would choose probably at least an hour difference in the, within the slot allocator, but sleeping the same length of time and et cetera, et cetera, then maybe someone is going to find chronotype or they can go on 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 a holiday or away from where they are yeah where there is no influence of or where the where the where the influence from chronobiological cues is flattened yeah and then start to add one at a time and see which one will actually skew more skew less and what is the impact um but I, I think that that could be some really can have some really really interesting um, outcomes. So what we're saying is the book really is um, how to go on holiday and make the most of it. 
<laughs> and you don't have to pay for it either. <laughs> oh God, this is great. I, I tell you what comes, what I find from just listening to you both talk is how complicated research really is because uh, as individuals, we're all so varied and so different. Yes, and, 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 and also, what does it actually mean for the individual that is in front of you? Yeah. What, 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 what is actually how, so for example, sometimes people come out with certain statements, and I said, and I, I think between me and me, well, how is the general population going to do with that kind, with such advice, yeah. with such a fine? Yeah. How is it going to make real? What is the magnitude of effect? So, for example, uh, licorice increases blood pressure. Yeah, it is about, what, three to seven points. And you think, it, it seems like we cause blood pressure, high blood pressure in people if we advise licorice. And you think, okay, what is the magnitude of effect? Caffeine improves my performance. Yeah, you need to take three grams per kilo mass. Yeah. <laughs> it's 10 <laughs> espresso. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Oh, God. No, honestly, oh, it's, it's like, you know, it's like, it's, it's interesting. And I asked Jules to do that because I got the different things and how I felt about it. It was very highly, I was really, I was really reacting to, 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 to what I thought of it more than if there was caffeine or not. Yeah. And sometimes mm. I swap the caffeine, the decaf, which is the same blend I get from a roastery around here. And it's exactly the same blend, but one is they, they use like a Swiss water, uh, Swiss cold water method, where only I think less than one percent is left. So 0.3 per espresso cup is probably negligible. Okay, um, and and you think, and it makes me feel better straight away. So then we tend to go on to you know a completely different way of seeing what actually causes an effect in, in ourselves. But uh, to me, the most important thing with the research is what does it actually mean for the person who's in front of you? How can we quantify that realistically? Is it really, oh, like beans have more protein than something or another. Is it realistic? Also, um, the, the one was magnesium in certain nuts and seeds. Yet you need a kilo of it in order to have, because you think, okay, so did you know that there is more magnesium in this food than the other one? So yeah, you try to eat a kilo of that and see if you're going to have any friends left. (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying, Alessandro, is actually as a therapist, it's how we synthesize the research and apply it to our, our clients sat in front of us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How can what, what? How is it meaningful, and is it realistic for someone to do? Yeah, I mean, a handful of nuts. Well, that's not going to give you enough of, despite the protein content is higher than other things, and and etc. 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 I'm saying this because something that just pops in my head. But you know, it's how realistic is that? Uh, so, yeah, how can people apply it exactly as you say? Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. Um, so can I ask you, I was going to say, what's your mission? But I think we're hearing your mission. I've loved this. I could go on and on, but I'm conscious of both your time. But 
what's next for you? How are you how are you moving forward? Well, right now I took a little uh, I'm only seeing patients that are referred to me, so probably less than a handful. Um, I I I need to decide where I want to go next in more details. I started to develop a strong interest for um, woodwork, as in joinery, yeah. and I absolutely love that. It's very meditative for me. Mm. Um, yeah, we have we have other uh, source of income, so I wanted to look at nutrition or science to to be more like a glorified hobby rather than being a position where you know we need to constantly generate because it's the sole form of income so the reason why i'm mentioning this is because i don't want to come across like i don't know patronizing or pretentious or whatever you um just because i would want to keep this as something that really um really triggers my interest and that to me seems to stay more within research projects and science rather than seeing patient day in and day out yeah gotcha um so that is where i believe i'd love to i'd love to be involved more in writing but i can't write to save my life so that means that (laughs) instead of writing the book i'm ranting and jules has to write it <laughs> and that means that I don't get any dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, no. oh, what a pair! I love it. So, um, um, so yeah, I, I uh, right now I still enjoy the personal research aspects, as in researching for the things that interest me. Um, I had lost. A little bit of, um, how can I say this politely? I kind of lost a little bit of my north uh, with current trends in practitioner training. Mm. Right. We tend to go, I see many of, some, not many, uh, some is too many for me, but that's for me. But in real numbers, is some. Uh, some practitioners that we're going more and more in very advanced testing, in very advanced and precise degree of information. We go, oh, we go into that specific gene and give the blame to all of that when we are completely missing the wood for the tree. Yeah. So yeah. in that sense, is well. I'm just repeating and parroting what grandma said. Do I need a qualification for that? <laughs> Do I need a scientific study for that? Do I need a scientific study to say to people, don't train in the evening, go to bed earlier, naturally wake up, don't get stressed until 10 o'clock at night, don't do this, don't do that. Well, what's that got to do with broccoli, bananas, and nuts and seeds? Nothing. Yeah. So I, 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 I lost a little bit of... Um, I'd say faith in where the nutrition world seems to go for certain areas. 
Yeah. It's a very strong movement, and we have more than ever before uh, so many nutritionists, nutritional therapists, or whatever you want to call us, uh, qualifying and more and more advanced testing, and yet we still seem to miss the wood for the tree. Yeah. We still seem yep. to, and I think, why, why do it? I'm more interested in understanding how physiologically our lifestyle choices matter rather yeah. than how many milligrams of magnesium do I need to sleep better. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that is in the where I would love to go and where yeah. I'm likely to go. So more of a, a therapeutic um, approach rather than an exact reductionist approach. Precisely so, once again. Yeah. Yeah. Broad, go out, look out. Yeah. The broader perspective yeah. rather than. Yeah. So go in, pull out, very sort of a, a mixture of things. Yeah. Ooh, very nice, very nice. So how could we, uh, Claire, do you have any other questions you want to ask? I mean, I know. Loads more. I know, I know. I haven't even asked half of my questions, um, but I think there's almost another podcast in it, just putting it out there. Uh, I was going to say, well, why don't we do that? Why don't we, <laughs> yeah, why don't we plan another podcast? Let's just go on and, and do that. But for now, do you have any other questions? No, that's, I okay. really, really okay. enjoyed chatting to you both today it's been great great for me um okay so i'll put information as you've discussed alessandra and i'll i'll put the links but is there anything that we can do as practitioners what can we do for you no one really probably ever asks you that that's so lovely no um no one has ever asked that uh (laughs) people have done it but not bloody (laughs) asked for that um okay if you have some spare wood next time in Exeter, just drop it in the back <laughs> of the car. Um, no, just, right. just help, just help people to maybe, um, yeah, maybe reconsider the lifestyle choices, um, and really helping spreading that because. I can see more and more people being defensive of their bias and being defensive of their apophenic brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, that doesn't lead us anywhere. It's just a more and more argument. Yeah. And sometimes the truth is in one basket, sometimes it's not in any basket, sometimes it's in the other basket. Yeah. And we just don't know. So if, if definitely we do know that if people... Um, really make, I think, some hard but simple lifestyle changes, maybe maybe you can really help with anything, going from NHS bill to, 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 to you know, to whatever. Um, and I think if you have any, um, any impact on that, this is what I would love for you to do for me just just help just help in spreading that message that you already are as far as i understand yeah okay okay that's good well i think there's always that people get caught up in the need to be right 
and that their idea, this is what it has to be, and we have to prove this rather than taking the holistic approach of saying there's so many variables out, which is hard for scientists, I yeah. think, yeah. You know, as I'm speaking to two very scientific minds that have a holistic approach. So you're the rarity out there, really. You are. Thank you. That, that brings me to, um, to a quote I heard. I don't know who quoted it, who said it, um, but there's the saying, um, be kind rather than right. Yes. Awesome. Truth. Love that. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that one. Well, on that note, I think I'll leave it there for now, and then we can decide what we might want to talk about next or what you two might want to talk about next. But you've been amazing. Thank you so much. You're just, I'm, I'm really touched. I'm really honored that you both joined me. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. I was just ranting on whatever you guys were <laughs> letting me say. So as in, you know, let me say in the sense of how much time you gave me to, 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 to stay with my rants. But um, most of the times, all the, all the great podcasts I heard is because the interviewers were great. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, well done. Honestly, you can chat, you can chat, you can chat, but if the interviewer, if the interviewer is 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 not maintaining the the the, the spice of the conversation and questions that are relevant and etc., at the end of the day, is going to be a fiasco and a flop. So, thank you guys. I'd be very very happy to do another one as long as I have enough things to say, which I. Oh. I'm sure oh. do. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Listen, all right. Well, thank you so much, both of you. Thank you so much. Have a great uh, time, afternoon. Be safe, of course. Yeah, and yeah you too. Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your sitting in and listening to all those pearls of wisdom from both Alessandro and Claire. It's such a great inspiration for me, and I hope it is for you. But the only way I'll know that is if you let me know. So please send me an email. The link for that will be on the show notes. And don't forget, these podcasts are here for you. They are here because we want to support one another, collaborate, communicate, educate, and inspire each other. I'd like to ask you to do a couple of things. As always, please, can you subscribe to my podcasts? And if you haven't done so already, leave me a review. It would really help. And and I'd also like to remind you that on Saturday, 19th September in Bristol at Engineer's House, Anita Beardsley of Love Nutrition and I are organizing the event, The Multifaceted Effect of Gut Health on Clinical Outcomes. This event is going to bring together a range of healthcare professionals, so we share innovative ways to support our clients with a particular focus on gut health and its many manifestations. We are delighted to have the following speakers joining us, Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Elizabeth Phillips, Tanya Borowski, and Claire Sinton. I am also pleased to say we have Nutrigold, Genova Diagnostics, and Optibac as our gold sponsors. And I can't go without mentioning one of our main supporters, the Alliance for Natural Health. It's going to be a great day because we're all going to be able to join together and share lots of knowledge and information with one another. But for now, I'd like to wish you and your loved ones the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.